Uh, well, we are uh, kicking off our Advent series this morning, and uh, Advent is uh, just a Latin word that means arrival or appearing or coming. Uh, Advent is a season in the church's life for us to celebrate the, the first coming of Jesus to the world and to uh, be stirred up with hope and with longing and with waiting for Jesus' return. Uh, it's a time for us to celebrate as a church the good news of the incarnation, that Jesus, God the Son, would take on our humanity and come rescue us and come to earth and save us. Uh, it's a time for us to just be stirred up fresh in wonder and worship once again that Jesus would come and would do this for us. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just kind of ruin the surprise for you and tell you where we're going and what we're hoping for and what we're preaching towards uh, during this season of Advent. Uh, we are preaching through the first chapters of the Gospel of Luke just to give us some time as a church to just be stirred up fresh at the good news that Jesus would do this for us. Like, I, I want you heading into Christmas freshly amazed that Jesus would do this, that he would take on flesh to save you. I, I want us heading into Christmas uh, worshiping Jesus just a little bit more deeply uh, than we did before because of the good news of the incarnation and what he's done for us. And so let's let the word of God do that work in us now. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26. We'll read down through verse 38. And here's what we're going to see in the text this morning. This text is going to tell us uh, that Jesus is both the son of David and the son of God. And it's going to tell us why that's incredibly good news. And so let's look at it together. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, the very word of God to us today. It speaks to us like this. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so the first thing we see the angel announce here is that Jesus is the son of David. And so we're really kind of picking up in the middle uh, of the beginning of the story that Luke is, is telling about Jesus. And, and right before this, 
uh, the angel Gabriel has come to Zechariah, one of Mary's relatives, uh, and, and just like Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth uh, are unable to have kids because she is barren and they are both old. They're advanced in years. But the angel comes to Zechariah and says that Elizabeth is going to conceive and give birth to a son uh, who he says will be great before the Lord and will go before the Lord and will prepare the people of God for the coming of the Lord. Uh, and Zechariah initially does not believe this promise, and we'll cover that a little bit more in the coming weeks. Uh, but, but six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, her relative Elizabeth, the angel then comes to Mary in a, in a town of Galilee called Nazareth. Uh, and here's what you need to know about Nazareth. Uh, it's Nowheresville. Like, it's never talked about in the Old Testament. Scholars estimate that at this time it probably had a few hundred people at the most. Like, it, it doesn't even show up on the map. I mean, this is a town that has one exit off the highway, one stoplight, one gas station. It's 45 minutes to the nearest Walmart. Like, it's just completely insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and, and I actually think that it's in this that we see something really important about God. Because listen, this is what everything in the story of the Bible has been heading towards. The moment when God would step into our world and would take on flesh. Like this is the high point of all of human history when God would step into the world. And when God does this, when he steps into the world, he, he does not go to the first century version of a New York City or L.A. He, he does not go to like a mover and shaker of a town. He doesn't come into wealth or to royalty. He doesn't even go to Jerusalem, the center of religious life at the time. He comes to Nazareth, to a no-name girl in a no-name place in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Mary, at the most, is anywhere from 13 to 16 years old at the time. That's when girls would have been betrothed like she is. And nobody knows who she is. Like, this is who God is choosing to work through. And, and so listen, I, I think this should be an encouragement to you like, if, if you feel unimportant, if you feel looked over, if you feel like you're never really going to amount to much and you're never going to have your name in lights, well, here's the great news. That means you're in a perfect position to be used by God. Like, that's, those are the types of people and places that God loves to work through. This is the way that he's always done it. He always loves to work through the humble, through the lowly through the unimportant and insignificant in the eyes of the world, because when he does that, it puts his power and grace on display. This is what we see him doing here with Mary. And, and so the angel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, and obviously Mary's a little bit freaked out about this because she's never seen an angel, and she's trying to figure out what all of this means uh, but once uh, the angel says this, he reiterates again and says that Mary has found favor with God. Now, favor here means grace, meaning Mary has found grace with God. Uh, and listen, if this, this is important. Uh, if you grew up in a Catholic background, uh, I'm sure you know that this is the place where the prayer, uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, uh, based off the Latin translation of this verse, comes from. And look, I'm not going to bash the Catholics, not going to hate on the Catholics. While we do have a lot of very real differences, uh, there are a lot of Catholic theologians that I really have learned a ton from and really respect. Uh, and I, I think we just need to get it straight. Uh, while Catholics do pray to Mary, which I think is really wrong, 
Uh, they do not worship Mary, and so we should not say that they do. Uh, but based off of the Latin translation of this verse, the Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, uh, which is basically that Mary, not Jesus, but Mary was conceived sinlessly and then was preserved as sinless throughout her life uh, so that Jesus could come into the world through a sinless human vessel. That's why they would say that she's being addressed here as someone who is full of grace. But that's not what the text says, does it? It says that she is a favored one, that she has found favor with God. Mary has found grace with God in the sense of, like, he just gave it to her as a gift. She wasn't looking for it. She wasn't searching it out. This was totally off of her radar. But God chose to show up to a no-name girl in a no-name town and shower her with grace and bring the Savior of the world into the world through her. Like, just like us, Mary is a sinner who needed God's grace, and here God is giving it to her. God is choosing to bless her with it. And look, I bring this up, this difference, because this is what makes Christianity so unique and amazing. Because every other religion says that if you want to find favor and acceptance with God, then you have to work for it. You have to qualify yourself for it. You have to jump through enough hoops. You have to be religious enough. You have to do enough good things to be acceptable to that God. But the great news of Christianity is that God bestows his favor and grace as a gift on people who do not deserve it, who were not looking for it, who have not cleaned themselves up enough, who have not done enough to earn it. Like, that's the good news of Christmas, The good news is not that we have to go out and find God, it's that he comes to find us, that Jesus is God come to find us, and that God pours out his grace on the weak and on the undeserving. And and so the angel continues with this announcement and tells Mary that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son whom she should name Jesus, which means God saves, and then he tells us a little bit about who this son is and who he's going to be. Uh, And and really, what he tells us here in the initial announcement is that Jesus is going to be the son of David. Uh, This is a huge theme in these first few chapters of Luke. You're going to see it come up over and over again. Verse 27 has already told us that Joseph, the man that Mary is betrothed to, is of the house of David. Uh, And then two of the things that the angel says here directly allude back to promises that God either made to or about David in the Old Testament. And so when he says that Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High, that's alluding back to Daniel chapter 7, which is a prophecy about a a king from David's line who will come and who will have a kingdom that overcomes all other human earthly kingdoms, will reign as king forever, and God's people will reign forever with him. When the angel says he will be given the throne of his father David, that's alluding back to the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that one of his sons would sit on his throne and would reign over God's people as king forever without end. Now, here's why this matters, and here's why Luke has recorded this for us. And the prophets promise just over and over and over that when the son of David comes, he won't just reign as king over Israel, he will rule over all the nations in righteousness and justice. And not only that, they promise that when this son of David comes and begins to rule as king, new creation is coming with him. 
Isaiah 11 presents this picture of the son of David reigning as king, and it tells us that when the son of David reigns as king, then new creation will break in, that the wolf will lie down, that the lion will lie down with the lamb, that the child will be able to put his hand over the hole of a snake and not get bit, that creation will dwell in harmony again, that things will be the way that they're supposed to be, and that God will deliver his people and save them in a way that's even greater uh, than the exodus from Egypt, that will make the exodus from Egypt look like a shadow, like everything will get set back to right. And, and so Christmas means that hope and rescue is breaking in now that the true king is here, that things are not going to be this bad forever, that things are getting set back to right, that new creation is coming and it's breaking in even now, now that the king, the son of David is here. And so the angel tells us that Jesus is going to be the son of David, but he, he doesn't stop there. He takes this announcement even further and says that Jesus is also going to be the son of God. And so in verse 34, after getting the initial part of this announcement, Mary's like, hey, I'm not doubting. I believe you, but, but how is this going to come about? Because I'm still a virgin, and uh, last time I checked, virgins are not able to get pregnant. And look, I'll just say here, I think so often it's easier for us to think that people back then uh, were just a little bit less intelligent than us and just a little bit more easily duped, but that's just not the case. Like, everybody knows that virgins don't get pregnant. Everybody knew that this just does not happen, that it cannot happen. That's why Mary is asking this question of the angel here, because this has never happened. And because we've seen, even in the miraculous births in the Old Testament, like uh, Abraham and Sarah giving birth to Isaac when she was 90 and Abraham was 100 years old, even though God gave them the power to conceive, uh, they still had to have sex, and then they got pregnant with Isaac. And but, but not the case here with Mary. Because listen, I, I know people will say this, but it's not like the Holy Spirit has sex with Mary either. Like there's, there's nothing sexual about this at all. That's kind of the whole point, that she remains a virgin. That's why this is so miraculous. No, no, here with Mary, the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come and will form and create the humanity of Jesus in her womb, just like the Holy Spirit uh, hovered over the waters and formed the initial creation in Genesis chapter 1. This is a total miracle. And the angel says that because it's going to happen this way, through a virgin conception and birth worked by the Holy Spirit, that the child that's going to be born to Mary will be called Holy, the Son of God. What the angel is saying is that this boy will be more than a boy. He will be God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the early church fathers, summed it up really well, put it like this. He says that Jesus is born of a woman shows us that he is human, but that he's born of a virgin shows us that he is divine. And so this is the central mystery of our faith, the incarnation, that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, while remaining what he is as God, would take on what he was previously not and would become a man to rescue us and save us. I mean, think about how wild this is and what we're actually saying when we confess this. We're saying that the creator of the universe had to learn how to walk and talk, that he got hungry and tired, 
that he pooped his diaper as a baby, that God had to wear diapers, that he, felt, that he had to sleep every night, that he got hungry, that he got sick, that he went through puberty, that his voice cracked, that he probably threw up at some point in his life. Like we're saying that the bread of life, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills got hungry. We're saying the one who never sleeps nor slumbers got tired. The one who said the earth and all of its fullness was his would have nowhere to lay his head. We're saying that the God who is full of life in and of himself would have to depend on Mary and Joseph to keep him alive. That the God who is full of life in and of himself would submit himself to death on a cross to die for us and save us. And listen, that just doesn't seem like the sort of things we would expect God to have to go through, but yet Jesus freely chooses to experience all of these things in his humanity as he takes on our humanity and becomes a man for us. And the angel is saying that all of this is going to happen this way because as verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. And so when you ask the question, like, why does it have to happen this way? Why does Jesus choose to do this? When you drill down to the deepest answer you can give, the answer has to be because God loves us. Look, Jesus as God can't die for you as God because God in himself cannot die. He's the author of life. But God so loved you and I that he would humble himself and take on our flesh and become a man so that he could die for you as a man. That the author of life who could never die in himself would take on our life so that he could die for you as a man to give us life. That's the miracle of Christmas. Look, if God does not become a man, we are still in our sins because we need a man to come and relive our human lives in perfection as the second Adam, as a new head of the human race. But, but this man has to be more than a man because uh, someone who's merely a man isn't going to be able to do enough to save us even if they live a sinless human life. And so the one who is fully God, while remaining fully God, became fully man to come die for us and rescue us and save us. It is the most amazing news. Because salvation is not just about you getting your sins forgiven and getting to go to heaven when you die. It's about getting God, knowing God, having fellowship with God, being restored back to God. And if Jesus is not God, then he can't bring us back to God. He can't make us right with God. He can't restore us. But he has come for just this purpose so that we would be made right with God once again. The creator of the world became a part of creation so that creatures like you and me could once again know our creator. We're going to come back to the significance of this, but when Mary hears this announcement, uh, she has an incredible response. In verse 38, after hearing this, she says, Lord, I am your servant. Let it be unto me according to your word. And listen, this is the proper response to the work of God in our lives. It's faith. It's trust in God. Mary is saying, hey, I don't have the full picture. I don't have the story laid out in full. I don't know what all of this means, but God, I trust you. Whatever you say for my life, it goes. Let it be unto me according to your word. 
And look, a lot of people have pointed out uh, that we have a lot more information than Mary and a lot less faith in what we know. And so look, I am always going to push for us learning more about God and being theologically deep as a people because what else should we give ourselves to other than knowing the God who has rescued us and saved us? And but with all of that said, we're still called to trust and be obedient to what we know. And this is something that you can do right now. No matter what level of spiritual understanding you're at, you can trust and be obedient to what you know. This is what Mary does here. She says, whatever you say, God, uh, I will do it. Let it be unto me according to your word. She trusts God. She takes a step of faith. And this is a costly trust that Mary is engaging in here. Because you realize that her plans and dreams for her life just got a total rewrite, right? Like if if Mary accepts what what God's calling her to here, like look, she's a normal human being. She had plans and dreams about what her wedding day with Joseph would be like and what her life with Joseph was going to look like. And if she says yes to what God is asking her to do here, that life is over. That life plan and those dreams are getting a total rewrite. And because if she says yes to this, she's just opening herself up to a life of shame and misunderstanding and rejection. Once again, I know we like to think that people back then were just a little bit dumber than us, but they're not. Everybody knows how kids got made. And so if she says yes to this, by the time Mary and Joseph have their wedding ceremony, she is definitely going to be showing Uh, And people will either know that they slept together before they were supposed to, or that Joseph is not the father. And who is going to believe Mary when she says that she is giving birth to God? Like, you can't say that. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm pregnant, but uh, yeah, Joseph and I didn't have sex. I actually didn't sleep with anybody else either. Uh, No, God the Holy Spirit put the baby in me. And oh yeah, the angel who announced this to me and told me this was going to happen also said that the baby is going to be God. That does not play at parties. Like, you get thrown in the insane asylum for saying stuff like that. And so for Mary to be obedient to God here, it means a life of shame and misunderstanding and rejection. That's going to be the story for the rest of her life. And she knows this, and yet she still chooses to be obedient to God and do what he says. And so listen, we don't worship Mary, we don't venerate Mary, we don't pray to Mary. Mary is not the object of our faith, but she definitely needs to be an example for our faith because her faithful response is incredible here. This is what faith in God looks like. It is not just assenting to some facts, it's costly trust, obedient trust. Listen, faith in Jesus is going to cost you something. It could be status, it could be reputation, it could be time, it could be money, it could be all of the above, but but these can't just be kind of facts that sit in your head. You have to respond. You have to take the next step of obedience and respond and say, God, I'm your servant, whatever you say goes. These can't just be facts. Because look, for example, like, there are some things I know. I know that the capital of Indiana is Indianapolis. I know that Oklahoma became a state in 1907. I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. 
I know that George Washington was the first president of the United States. I know that Brad Pitt is from Shawnee, Oklahoma, the, the college town where Braylon and I went to college. I know a lot of different facts like that, but all of those facts that I just listed, they have no bearing on my life at all. Like, they don't get me up in the morning. They don't motivate me. They don't inspire me. I, I, they don't come into my decision-making processes. I, I never talk about them, and I rarely think about them at all. They're just facts that kind of sit in my head. And, and so listen, just like Mary does with the Christmas story here, these can't just be facts that we see and we're like, oh man, what an amazing story. How cool that God would do this, and we go on with our lives and we have to respond with trust, with obedient, costly trust that says, God, whatever plans you have for my life, whatever story you want to write, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. I will trust your word. I'm your servant. You write the plans for my life. You be God. I'm going to stop trying to be. And where does faith like that come from? Where does a faith in God that responds with costly trust like that come from? Well, it comes from seeing and believing the truth of verse 37, that nothing is impossible with God. Because listen, we've seen even more than Mary. Remember, this is an allusion back to Genesis chapter 18 when God comes to Abraham and Sarah and says, next year, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah doesn't believe and she laughs about this promise. And so God says, is anything too hard for me? I'm going to prove it. I'll be here next year. You'll be having a son and he did. He fulfilled his promise. And, and so we see God fulfill the promise here, but, but here in Luke chapter 1, he ups the ante a little bit. And when we see that not only is it not too hard for God to give the son of the promise to Abraham and Sarah, it's not too hard for God to take on flesh and become the son of the promise to come and save us. It's not too hard for God to become a part of his creation, step into his creation, and heal his creation from the inside out because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And because nothing is impossible with God, you can actually know God. That's what Christmas means. That's what Jesus has opened up for us. The best way I've heard it put uh, is like this. I've used this before, but I'll, I'll personalize it again uh, to make it my own. So in seventh grade, uh, there was a girl in my PE class that I had a crush on and I really wanted to date. And uh, I had never talked to her in person before, had just kind of stared longingly at her during PE class. And uh, I wasn't going to let that stop me, though. And so I don't remember if it was Facebook or MySpace, but what I did uh, is I had one of my friends uh, friend her on Facebook and MySpace and uh, send the message like, hey, uh, will you go out with Ryan and will you give him his number, give him your number? And uh, strangely enough, she said yes to this. That wasn't a deterrent for me to go through somebody else through a MySpace message. Uh, and so she said yes, and this kicked off just a, a whirlwind of a relationship. Uh, and so we dated for a week. Once again, we never went anywhere. We never talked to each other in person. Uh, we just texted each other, uh, and so uh, a, a few days into this week-long relationship, uh, she told me that she loved me, and so I figured, you know, I, I've got to say it back, and so I told her that I loved her too, uh, but then a few days later, I thought a little bit more about it, and I was like, you know, I don't even know this girl's last name right now. Uh, maybe it's a little bit too fast to say that I love her, 
Uh, and so I decided, you know, that this has run its course. We've, uh, it's not me, it's, you, it's not you, it's me. Uh, we've just run this apart. And so I broke up with her once again over a text message. Uh, and that was the end of that very important, momentous relationship uh, in my life. And so in seventh grade, you know, I had my friend kind of step in and ask her out for me. Uh, but then on the other hand, when I proposed to my wife, Braylon, and when I said my wedding vows... I did not have someone else do that for me. I did not have someone else go stand in for me and get down on a knee and say, hey, will you marry Ryan? He really wants to marry you. I didn't have someone stand in for me. Why not? Like, what was the difference? Well, obviously some of the difference was me being young and dumb in seventh grade, but I would say the real difference is love. Because when you really love someone like that, you don't send someone else. Right? You don't have someone else stand in for you. Well, look, this is what is happening at Christmas. The incarnation means that God did not send a middleman. He did not send a check. He did not send a letter. No, he came himself to get us. Christmas means that God so wanted to be close to you and I that he bridged the gap and he closed the distance. Jesus is very God, a very God who has come to break down every barrier that stands between us and God. And so listen, you don't have to be distant from God anymore. Christmas means you can truly know him. You can have fellowship with him. You can walk with him. You don't have to be separated from him any longer. Because when we couldn't make our way to God, Jesus made his way to us. He went low to raise us up. He became what he was not so that we could become what he is. He was born of Mary so that we could be born again of God. That's the good news of Christmas, and it's why we celebrate our great King Jesus. Because nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with him. God took on flesh. It's just mind-boggling. And the more you think about it, the more amazing it is that God would do this for us. Because listen, I get a God that would sit up in heaven and would kind of hand down rules to keep and commandments to follow. That sort of God makes sense to me. I don't get a God who would so love people that rebel against him like this that he would come down and do this for us. But he has. He has. And so listen, this can't just be kind of a cute story for Christmas time. These can't just be facts that you agree to. You have to respond. Jesus has opened up the way for you to truly know God, to truly know him. And so the only proper response is to be like Mary and say, Jesus, I'm your servant. Whatever you say goes, let it be unto me according to your word. You write the plan for my life. I will follow you. Jesus is the son of David and he's the son of God. And so you respond by being his servant and trusting him, and let, letting whatever he says goes. That's how you receive the message of Christmas. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this good news that when we couldn't make our way back to you, you came to us. That you have come to rescue us, and deliver us, and save us from our sins. That even your name, Jesus, is because you will and you have saved your people from their sins. Jesus, thank you for the good news that we get to celebrate at Christmas. That you did not stay in heaven, 
you took on our flesh to save us and make us right with you once again. And so would you help us to receive and respond to that? Would you help us to be like Mary and, and follow her example of faith and say, Lord, we're your servant. Whatever you want for us, whatever you have for me, you write the script, you make the plans, I'll go wherever you're leading. Jesus, please do that in us. Help us to receive that message of Christmas in our hearts, even starting right now. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.